I Could Murder a Podcast is proudly part of the ACAST Creator Network. For hundreds of extra minisodes and other content, along with our private Discord server and live Q&As, exclusive merch and much more, consider subscribing to icmap.co.uk. Warning. The following episode contains subject matter and scenes that some viewers may find upsetting, disturbing, or unnerving. Please note, viewer discretion is advised at all times. Sit back and enjoy. Nanny's Apple and Prune Pie. Set your oven to 350 degrees and bake for 45 minutes. You'll need one cup of water, one cup of flour, half a cup of butter, six tablespoons of sugar, two eggs, four apples, one cup of dried prunes, a sprinkle of granulated sugar, and five heavenly tablespoons of rat poison. Any old brand will do. Welcome back to another I Could Murder a Podcast. This is episode number five of series four. I'm Tom Norris and this is Ben Carter. But Ben, before we start, we've got a lot of comments on our, on the uh, YouTube saying, you take too long in your intros. So Ben, I want you to do all the kind of the admin here in 20 seconds about what people should follow us on Good and all that stuff. So you've got 20 seconds from now. Right. We're very close to 5,000 followers on Instagram. So please head over there to at Could Murder a Pod. Uh, Twitter at Could Murder a Pod. We post daily stuff on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, we also have a Patreon page, 40 episodes or so over there at the moment. A pound a week, lovely deal for you guys and for us. So win-win for everyone. Um, that's it, enough time. And so you, could, you didn't, have, didn't, have, didn't have enough time to mention the store or uh, things like that, but that's fine. We've done it now. People can't be... They, they talk for five minutes before they start the case. We've done 20 seconds. He did a good job, to be fair. Yeah, went along, it went the scenic route on some of them, but, <laughs> but that was fine. I... Yeah, I've hit that point in life where the scenic route sounds safer. So today's case is a case that we've been aware of for a long time. It's been a few, fair few requests for it, and it goes by many a name, Ben. Do you want to list through some of these names? Definitely, if we've got time. Uh, Nanny Doss, the self-made widow. The giggling granny, the giggling nanny. Uh, the black widow, the jolly black widow. The lonely hearts killer. Lady Bluebeard, the no-go nanny widow. Oklahoma's Jolly Widow there as well. It's a lot, the no-go nanny widow. I've made that one up. Yeah, that's the look that I, I think you probably visibly see me pull a face when that one was said. Ah, because it was the good. least... Oh! But how does one rack up so many names? <laughs> well, Ben, we're going we're gonna to find out exactly what made Nanny Doss giggle. So, Ben, let's go back in time, all the way back to 1905. Mm. Let's... <laughs> Okay, so we're going to do what we usually do, go back and see exactly what formed the giggling granny, mm-hmm. or giggling nanny, yeah. or giggling nana. <laughs> <laughs> nanny Doss was born Nancy Hazel on November 4th, 1905 in Blue Mountain, Alabama. Scorpio. Pardon, Ben? She was born in the part of Aniston to James and Lou Hazel. Now, first off, Ben, I thought Nanny Doss, and with all the names giggling grand and all that stuff, she did go on to become a grandma. But she was called Nanny from a young age as a nickname for Nancy, which I've never yeah. heard in my life. Yeah, and it makes it seem quite familiar. 
which when you read about what she goes on to do is obviously it's uncomfortable familiarity but yeah nanny it's kind of like a nickname you'd give to a dog <laughs> okay here comes nanny <laughs> i'm sure there's a famous film with a dog called nanny someone's fallen down the well get nanny mcphee Woof! that's too way too loud jesus uh, but she had one brother and three sisters. Nana is a St. Bernard who appears in Disney's animated film. Peter Pan. Peter Pan, yeah. We, so both, got, we both got there. In a way. Sorry for that interruption. That's all right. We need, need to know it. Still, I think it's a creepy name for a dog. But yeah, call your dogs whatever you want. I'm not going to judge you. Judgey. Judge. Dan the producer's dog. Judge. Get a picture up on seat. Full circle. Bow wow. But before we continue, we want to say a massive thank you to the sponsor of today's episode, Jubilee Copy. Yeah, listener of the podcast, Joe Robert Shaw got in touch about his new startup business, Jubilee Copy, and he decided to sponsor the podcast. Jubilee Copy is an SEO and marketing agency startup crafting campaigns to secure businesses a place on the front page of Google and to take their content game to the next level. And Jubilee Copy offer a wide range of services, including business to business content marketing, e-commerce marketing, social media marketing, content strategy and email marketing. So Joe has worked for some of the country's leading agencies developing marketing strategies for Samsung, HelloFresh and Health Insider. The team is growing fast, hiring some of the best minds in the industry to help businesses of all sizes get the visibility and the traffic that they deserve. In 2021, every business needs an SEO strategy, whether it's to help generate organic traffic, build brand awareness or boost revenue. SEO and content marketing can be time consuming and if you're trying to run your business you probably don't have time to dedicate to SEO and content marketing. Jubilee Copy work with a wide range of businesses across multiple industries and offer a free consultation service for all new clients looking to take their marketing strategies to the next level. If you want to help your audience find you first, head over to jubileecopy.co.uk or search Jubilee Copy on LinkedIn. Thank you, Joe. Do you want to carry on, Ben? Although she was born Nancy, she would then go on to be known as Nanny, which I think just sounds, yeah, it's quite familiar. Don't like it. Nanny was one of five children. She had one brother and three sisters, and all the siblings from a very early age had a strong dislike for their father, James. Partly because he was very controlling, but he was also very abusive. And from a, a young age, he would force his children to work on the family farm rather than go to school, which obviously would then result in an impact on Nanny's uh, academic performance. The mother also had a fair dislike for James. There was uh, allegations of kind of domestic abuse within the household. So a very uh, rural kind of isolated community, but also there was a lot of a lot of aggression within the household, a lot of control from uh, James, certainly. So the whole family, including Nanny, would uh, graft on the family farm from sunrise to sunset. They would barely make ends meet. The mother, by all accounts, was a really kind-hearted, loving parent and seemed to dote on her, her children as and when she could. But the father was very distant when he was there. He was very aggressive and controlling, as I've said. Extended family would also uh, regularly visit the Hazel farm. And it is alleged that from a very early age, uh, Nanny would be sexually abused by her cousins and by her uncle. So she had a, a very tough upbringing, uh, did Nanny. Yes, and her dad, as Ben said, was very controlling, would also prevent them kind of wearing makeup or attractive clothing. He wanted basically not to, he didn't want to attract men to, to his daughters because he was, he was worried about them being molested. But mm -hmm. in turn, you know, it happened within the family, which when Nanny told her father about the, um, about the incident, um, he didn't believe her, basically, and he, yeah, he denied the incident what actually happened. Her going to her father, trying to confide in him and trying to get some support and him just saying, no, that's... 
So she's isolated on the family farm, working away with her, her, her siblings and her mother, very controlled by her father, not able to socialise, not able to go to school. So, so to kind of escape from this, during her childhood, her favourite hobby was reading her mother's romance magazines and dreaming of her own kind of romantic future, kind of with the idea that she'd eventually meet her soulmate, the love of her life, and, and live happily ever after. But this is a true crime podcast. And I don't believe things are going to work out quite the way Nanny intended. <laughs> um, when she was around seven years old, the family were taking a train to visit relatives in southern Alabama. When the train stopped suddenly, a nanny hit her head on a metal bar in the seat in front of her. And we know, Ben, in a lot of the cases we've covered already, a sudden impact to the brain or the frontal cortex, it can lead on to certain problems going forward, lack of empathy and whatnot. And yeah, it kind of can change the person it happens to. So this was, yeah, a very a very sudden in incident and it led, led to her having years of um, headaches, blackouts and depression. She, and she blamed her mental instability on this accident. And it, research shows it can severely affect the personality, but it wouldn't have turned her into a cold-blooded killer overnight. This impact with, with um, years of abuse can really have a big impact on the psychological health in later life. Yeah, so it's a lethal combination. And there was a lot going on with that train journey as well. So, so different articles that we've read state that they were just on a train journey to visit family in southern Alabama. But I also read that they were fleeing from an oncoming tornado. Two birds, one stone, eh? There you go. Let's get out of here, but we haven't seen Frank in a while. <laughs> Frank, I'm in the tornado. No. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> the back door's unlocked. Take yourself to biscuits. But also, the train had to stop suddenly because there was uh, animals in the tracks. So, busy journey. That, that is a key moment in the, uh, in the life of Nanny Doss. So, Nanny gets to her uh, teenage years and she's uh, still kind of escaping into these romantic uh, dreams of her future. She becomes obsessed with the Lonely Hearts column uh, in local newspapers, which is basically, at the time, you could kind of, from what I understand, you could advertise pretty much anything. What do you mean? Well, you could take out classified ads at the time. The Lonely Hearts one was obviously specific. <laughs> the Lonely Hearts one was obviously specific to kind of people looking for love, but at the time you could take out a classified ad for an old chair that you're trying to sell. Or can't you do that now? Yeah, but back then I kind of, I think you could. What's the face? I think you, it was pretty, pretty um, liberal. What you could uh, list. I don't know what you mean still. I think you could just advertise anything. People. That's the Lonely Hearts thing, it's surely. No, people. Stop doing the thing where it is. Um, what is it? Just that you could, you could, back then, there was, it was, you know, it's a different time. Just say what it is. <laughs> Fucking dancing around it. What do you mean? I don't know. I don't know. Do you mean someone's to say, you can literally go have sex? Oh, no. What do you mean then? I, I, <laughs> Because that's literally by going there, you know. I, I think the 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 the, um, the criteria was a lot more. Oh, so you see, so someone's saying I'm looking for someone who's like this, like this, like this. Um, yeah, let's just go with that. Oh, what do you mean? No, well, like at the time, obviously, this is nineteen hundreds. You could sell land. You could sell a, a bag of grain. So why were you doing the weird thing? I'm going. You, you know, <laughs> you're talking about fucking a bag of grain. I was never going to get that. Oh, well, you know what I mean. A lovely bit of bag of grain. Oh, good Lord. Good Lord. Sorry about that. 
so due to Nanny's childhood and you know the abuse and, and the knock to the head, she grew up with a great distrust towards men. But she did very much desire, still desire Prince Charming. She she thought there's someone out there for me. But then she came across a certain man called Charlie Braggs in 1921 when she was 16 years old, and Doss's father pressured her into marrying Charlie Braggs. Yeah, an interesting, um, interesting kind of, I guess, change of mind. Maybe the dad viewed uh, Charlie Braggs as kind of a well-to-do man of town. Yeah, absolutely. But also, the reason that she had met Braggs in the first place is that she'd convinced her father to uh, to let her go and work in the local linen factory. So to start bringing some money into the household because the farm was suffering. When actually, the real reason for her wanting a job is so that she could actually go out of the house and socialize and start to meet people. So I think as well, one thing about Charlie that um, her father really liked was he respected his elders. He's very close to his mum. Yeah, he, tra- he treated her very well. And that in his head showed that he was a good man. Charlie was viewed as dependable, hardworking and, most importantly, sober. And a quote from Charlie about Nanny, he said, Nanny was a pretty girl and lots of fun. Our marriage started off pretty well, but after a couple of years, she started going off. So um, we're going to get into the timeline, I believe, now. Going off, does he mean her looks or mentally going off? What does he mean by that? You're leading me down a little pathway I don't really want to go down, but um, I imagine he just means that things started to go slightly sour in the relationship. Yeah, thank you. Very diplomatic answer from me. Safe. Do you reckon she started getting ugly? (laughs) So, 1921, 16-year-old Nanny went to work at Linen Fred Company, a linen factory where she met Charles Charlie Braggs, a handsome, curly-haired young man who spent his paycheck supporting his mother and treating her like the Queen of Alabama. The Queen of Alabama. Alabama. Nanny's father, James, very much approved of the match due to the clear respect that he felt uh, Charlie had for his elders, thinking that this was something his daughters could learn. So again with the control. Yeah, which as well, I mean, they've been working on the farm, like you said, from sunrise to sunset. sunset. And uh, he still thinks he's not getting enough from them. So Bragg's Nanny only dated for four months before walking down the aisle. However, all was not well in the newlyweds household. Nanny said of her marriage... I married as my father wished, 1921, to a boy I only knowed about four or five months, who had no family, only a mother who was unwed and who had taken over my life completely when we were married. she never seen anything wrong with what she'd done, but she would take spells. She would not let my own mother stay all night. So again, controlling Ben, which I think is very much the theme. Yeah, this is, this is an interesting one. So I read as well, how true this is, I don't know, but I read that when they, because they were only dating for four months, I read that Nanny didn't know that Braggs lived with his mother and that she married him. They had their wedding night. I said, I, I, I imagine in a venue or a hotel or a church, an inn. Then he takes her home. It's like 90 Day Fiance when they actually bring them back and they're like, the person that comes to America is like, I did not think you'd live in a flat like this. And yeah. why are you living with your parents? They're like, well, I spent all my money on plane tickets to see you, baby. And they're like, no. Bragg's mother insisted on continuing to live with her son, despite the fact that he had a new bride. So the couple would go on to have four daughters uh, together between 1923 and 1927. So that's that's a daughter a year. Yeah, that's but nine months um, to... The first was... <laughs> The first was Melvina in 1923, then Zelma, and then Gertrude, and the last was Florine. It's weird because that name actually has a question mark at the end of it. So it's not Ben just asking the question. It's just how it's spelled. Florine. <laughs> Florine. Keep saying it like that. <laughs> Florine was born in 1927. 
So despite the fact that, that uh, Braggs and Nanny have had four children, Braggs' mother would insist on continuing to live with her son, his new bride, and their children, which led to many restrictions on Nanny's life. So although she's got out of that kind of controlling, ruling household well, farm that uh, her, her father ran, she's now in a household where uh, Bragg's mother very much starts to control where she goes, what she does, how she spends her time. If Nanny wanted to go out for dinner, Miss Bragg's would suddenly experience a dizzy spell or some other illness to ensure that the couple stayed home and looked after her. So the stress from her mother-in-law caused Nanny's drinking and smoking to increase to a heavy addiction and the couple began to face more and more issues including accusations of infidelity with Braggs often disappearing for days on end whilst Nanny sought attention at the various gin mills in the Blue Mountains. Gin mills in the Blue Mountains, that sounds lovely. Yeah, I think that's why I did a voice for it because I was like, that does sound really nice. I would like to go there. So on the 30th of August 1927, Zelma, Nanny's second daughter, died of food poisoning. On the 25th of September 1927, the same thing happened to Gertrude, Nanny's third-born daughter. Everyone was shocked, knowing these children uh, as typically healthy and strong. Both girls, according to Braggs, were fine at breakfast, but had died by lunchtime. So, fairly quick turnaround there. Um, Turnaround? That was fun, sorry. And although medics ruled their deaths as accidental, Braggs was not convinced and quickly began to expect his wife. He became cautious of anything she made for him, saying, When she got mad, I wouldn't eat anything she fixed or drink anything around the house. So I don't know where this suspicion has come from, if she's got any kind of uh, background there, but he's, he's straight away um, suspecting Nanny of poisoning their children. Yeah, there doesn't seem to be any previous of her, that, as, as far as we could find in terms of her having previous for poisoning or meddling with that, but the only thing I could think of is maybe some bawdy comments when making a drink. Oh, you want me to make the coffee, do you? And put a little face. Which I wouldn't go, oh, what, are you going to poison me? It's speculation on the on these killings. Why would Nanny go on to kill her own daughters? Some say it's revenge from Nanny on Braggs because he would leave her on days and end and, you know, commit adultery far away from her. Or perhaps it was depression or addiction that led her to be overwhelmed with the responsibility of the many mouths to feed. But there's other certain theories that maybe it was Munchausen syndrome by proxy, you know, kind of making the children sick in order to kind of show how good of, how much of a good mother she was by caring for them and getting them back to full health maybe mm-hmm. trying to show her mother-in-law that you know I can look after my children yeah. maybe she gave too, maybe the dosage was too high that led to them passing away so there's a lot of different speculation here so as the marriage would go on Braggs and Nanny kind of both drifted apart soon after Braggs ran away taking his eldest daughter Melvina uh, leaving behind newborn Florine with Nanny Mrs Braggs Nanny's overbearing mother-in-law also died around this time which is quite an interesting note and it is suspected that Nanny was the killer however she is not listed in the official victims and was at the time said to have died of natural causes. So in 1928 Nanny found a job as a cotton miller to support her and Florine. Braggs returned a year later with Melvina however had a new woman, a divorcee with her own children. Braggs sought a divorce stating his reason for leaving as being frightened of her. Nanny took the girls with her to live with her mother leaving Braggs with his new family cursing him, his girlfriend and her own bad fortune. However, it wouldn't be long until Nanny was on the hunt for love again. So in 1929, finding herself single once again, Nanny descended deeper into her romance novels as well as deeper into her depression. Uh, she gained employment in another cotton mill. A lot of cotton mills, a lot of mills about, about the time. Yeah. A lot, a lot of mills milling them out. Nanny enjoyed the escape from her overbearing parents as well as the responsibilities of motherhood. Although receiving admiring looks from men in the shop, Nanny was determined not to make the same mistakes with her next husband. Instead, she would write to a number of men from a lonely heart 
Hearts column, but only one man's response interested her. And this was a response from Robert Frank Harrelson, a 23-year-old factory worker from Jacksonville, bonded with Nanny very, very fast. And they would even send pictures and semi-explicit love letters to each other. So it's heating up. And assuming she's probably, you know, wanting to move on from Bragg's, you know, find someone who's a bit more eligible bachelor, maybe a bit more money, going from, from Bragg's to riches. He soon proposed and they got married, living together with Melvina and Florine, Nanny's remaining children from her first marriage. However, the marriage was not what Nanny had hoped for. Harrison turned out to be an alcoholic abuser who had a criminal record for assault. Still, the marriage lasted for 16 years. A lot longer than Bragg's. In 1943, Melvina, Nanny's eldest daughter from her first marriage, had married and gave birth to a little boy, Robert Lee Haynes. So Nanny became a nanny. She did then. Foreshadowing her name, wasn't it? I don't follow. 1945, Melvina gave birth to a second child, a girl this time. However, the labour was a lot harder. Nanny, playing the dutiful mother, was there to support her daughter. Within an hour of her birth, the child died. Melvina, who was drained from delivery, dreamt that her mother stabbed the child with a hairpin on the head continuously until she died. The doctors could not account for the child's death, leaving Melvina and the dutiful Nanny heartbroken. Melvina, not being able to remember clearly what had happened, told her dream to her stepfather and Florine a few days later, who confirmed that Nanny had been holding a hairpin earlier in the evening. Spooky. Hairpin. Yeah. Very different MO from her, if that is how exactly what happened. But I would have thought the baby passed away from being stabbed repeatedly. That's a very clear thing the doctor's going to see and, and notice and hear. Because of the newborn's death, Melvina and her husband began to have problems. Six months after the death of their daughter, Melvina and her husband had a big fight which drove Melvina to stay with her father. She left her remaining son, Robert Jr., in the care of her mother. I guess no questions asked at the time, but... Well, the thing is, if she did suspect her mum of foul play with how you know her daughter died, it does you do question why she's leaving... A son. July 7th, 1945, Robert Jr., a healthy little boy, died whilst in care of Nanny from asphyxia due to unknown causes. Nanny seemed devastated, acting like the heartbroken grandmother to the point of fainting whilst his tiny coffin was being lowered into the ground. A few months later, Nanny cashed in a $500 life insurance that she had taken out on her grandson. Firstly, asphyxia due to unknown causes. Vague. Unknown, yeah. Unknown, yeah. But the life insurance, this is the first time we've seen any possible kind of financial motive in, in these suspicious deaths within the family. $500 at the time. Oh, no. God. <laughs> Every time. Yeah, how much is that now, Ben? That's £2 million. Pounds. <laughs> but why would, you, why would you take out a life insurance? just trying to, <laughs> trying to get some chat going. Oh, yeah, no, you should. Go on. Um, so, okay, so first question then. Life insurance policy on a little kid. What's the, what's going on there? I have never done it. Never take one out on a little kid. Um, I, I don't know. What, I don't know how to respond to. Cashed in a five hundred dollar life insurance. So the fifteenth of September, nineteen forty-five. Uh, second husband Harrelson had been out drinking with his friends. At the time, uh, Japan had just surrendered, and the Second World War was finally over. He was celebrating and welcoming home friends from overseas, drinking heavily into the evening. He returned home in a very festive mood, wanting sex, fireworks style. Let me just absorb that information. 
When Nanny refused, he slammed his fist into a wall, saying, If you don't listen to me, woman, I ain't going to be here next week. And then he raped her. Although this wasn't the first time this had happened, Nanny had been pushed to her limit. The next day, whilst gardening, she found her husband's corn whiskey jar amongst the flower beds, which Nanny took particular offence to as she liked keeping her garden tidy. She poured away some of the whiskey and topped it up with rat poison. That evening, Harrison died in excruciating pain at age 38, whilst Nanny washed out the empty whiskey jar, getting rid of any evidence. Nanny told Told family and friends that Harrison had died of food poisoning, she quickly collected his life insurance money and bought a plot of land and a house close to Jacksonville. Yeah, so again, we see that kind of, um, that well, the financial motive there. As well as that, there's not much known about Nanny during two years after her husband Harrelson's death. It is thought that she travelled by rail around the country and there were actually rumours of another husband during this time called Hendrix. However, police did not follow this up. It could be possible that there is another unaccounted for victim so basically yeah she she was um her children had all grown up she had kind of financial independence and uh it's alleged that she was kind of traveling from town to town during this this kind of couple year period so in 1947 uh, after a long search nanny met true love number three in lexington north carolina and this was also through another lonely hearts column arlie lanning was a laborer who was originally from alabama and apparently smitten with nanny married her after just three days she's very she must have some sort of allure to her people tend to um fall for her quite quickly yeah and the thing as well you know she's she's grown up loving these romantic novels and the kind of idea is you know if you fall madly in love with someone you know you do kind of get sucked up in that whirlwind of love and maybe it's a case of going well if it's the right person it's the right person and she's probably selling that dream to them as well you found your partner it does seem that she's seeing the kind of prince charming every time she sees that new person and then it does tend to quickly fall away, like it does here. Unfortunately, Nanny quickly learnt that she had chosen poorly yet again. Lanning turned out to be an alcoholic womanizer, drinking and flirting too much for Nanny's liking. However, this time it was Nanny who disappeared for days or months on end. So Arlie would re- receive a cablegram that said, Send money or be home soon. The wires came from all directions. She seemed not to remain in one place for too long. Nanny always returned to play the charming doting wife, with Lanning always promising to give up the booze and women, which never lasted long. Nanny would attend church when she was home, sometimes bringing along Lannan during his sober periods. It wasn't long before whispers started. Lannan's reputation caused a scandal amongst the community, with Nanny receiving pity from her church-going peers. This has seemed to happen quite a lot as well, with obviously uh, losing, losing her children at a young age. People around her, you know, the sport network, did kind of very much feel sorry for Nanny, like, oh, she, you know, she's such a good mother, she's so upset. Obviously, she, she was putting on quite a show before falling by the coffin. It, she did really kind of enjoy that sympathy that she was getting. Yeah, and I'd imagine she'd really really play on that fact oh I've lost my mother-in-law I've lost my children I've lost even a grandchild at this point two grandchildren I believe so yeah I think she's possibly playing to this as well you know informing everyone of just how many people close to her she's lost maybe she's yeah maybe she's chasing uh, some sort of attention from all this sympathy and, 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 and getting satisfaction from it so on the 30th of June 1950 Nanny had been playing the doting wife taking care of her home and her husband uh, when she was there helping her new mother-in-law with cleaning and housekeeping as well as tending to her terminally ill sister Dovey. In one of her many disappearing spells, Nanny stayed with Dovey and poisoned her, adding to her growing list of victims. See, yeah, that's the thing as well with this is like killing abusive partners and whatnot, not saying that that's ever excusable, but then killing the innocent children and also family members. It 
didn't seem to phase her one bit. The 7th of September 1950, whilst visiting her mother-in-law, Nanny also poisoned her, claiming that the elderly woman had died in her sleep. Due to Nanny's renowned good character and her mother-in-law's old age, no one thought to question this. Shipman vibe there. So the 16th of February 1952, Nanny, now a pro at dealing with unruly husbands, had been mixing poison in Lanning's alcohol. The night he finally died, she told people it was due to heart failure, and the doctors confirmed it since he was an alcoholic and no one suspected a thing. His funeral was a grand affair with the whole church community turning out, not for Lanning, but to stand in support of his devastated widow. So that's the thing as well. She's, you know, she's got complete backing from the local community, support from the church. You know, she's very much looking like just the unluckiest lady in the world at this point. Yeah, well, because she did travel around as well, I'm not sure how much she would have let on about know what previously happened because then people might have been asking questions but from this this church community obviously they've seen her the church every weekend occasionally landon would go with her but when he wasn't going with her it was because he was going for a bad spell of in alcoholism yeah. so they probably felt some sympathy to her already and then they're like you know she's so, such a stoic woman and she's she's how look how strong she is afterwards at his funeral nanny put on a show saying he just sat down one morning to drink a cup of coffee and eat a bowl of prunes i especially prepared for him up until then well let me tell you he looked in fine shape then, well, two days later, dead. I nursed him. Believe me, I nursed him, but I failed. Adding to the act, she dabbed her eyes with a handkerchief. Poor, poor Ali. You know what he said to me before he breathed his last? Nanny, he said. Nanny, it must have been the coffee. Which I think is you're essentially implicating yourself there. Yeah. Because it's not just like, oh, the, oh, Nanny, this coffee tastes so good. I think it's done me over. It's not obviously not what he's implying. No, I would have gone with the prunes, if anything. Prunes, prunes have gone off. Oh. Uh, um, I, thought you, but yeah, she, I thought you'd gone then. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. So yep. she's putting on, she's 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 putting on a show here. So the people at the funeral were overwhelmed with sympathy, and they actually put on a fundraiser to support Nanny. Kept those previous insurance policies uh, under the floorboards. I reckon kept it quiet. And she cashed them in. They're in the bank. So another strange note is that just before Lanning died, a nephew living with him died of food poisoning, of apparent food poisoning. In his will, Lanning had left his house to his sister and mysteriously the house burnt down just eight weeks after Lanning's death. Nanny quickly collected and banked the insurance money, making a quick getaway from North Carolina. So she's not just insuring people, she's insuring properties. So yeah, you could you could argue there that maybe the the house being left to the sister, you know, angered her deeply enough to burn it down, or she burned it down for the insurance money. But yeah, she's she is on a rampage here. You have to ask as well during that time period, people dying of food poisoning. Seemed, I mean, they seem to know I'm spat an eyelid. I mean, I've had food poisoning before, but I'm still here. 1952, now in Emporia, Kansas, Nanny signed up to another dating service called Diamond Circle Club. Ooh. Interested? Sounds pretty exciting. I'll, I'll tell you more about it and see if we can get you in there, boy. Membership was $15 per year, for which she received a monthly newsletter of the newest members. Wow. No pun intended there. Uh, this is where she met recently retired businessman Richard L. Morton of Jamestown. She noticed that he wasn't an alcoholic abuser like her past husbands. Perhaps he could be the one. So lucky number four, potentially. So the 12th of January 1953, Nanny and Morton wed. Less than a year after them first meeting. Soon after this, though, Nanny's mother fell and broke her hip. And Nanny quickly volunteered to take care of her, moving her mother into the newlyweds 
home. It wasn't long until Nanny poisoned her too. So this is all just this things happening very, very quickly, very, very quickly. But this is her own mother, who by all accounts was really, really good to her. Yes, yeah, in comparison to her father, yeah. Um, but I don't think that it seemed to be she enjoyed the act of actually doing it. And like, yeah, the monetary value that she got from some of these deaths. Uh, but like you said, yeah, she was very fond of her mother. So yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe it's a maybe it's a mercy killing, similar to the other uh, mother-in-law. Um, that she felt maybe the mother was still in pain and she wanted to... But her. also, Richard L. Morton, he's no different than her mum's with It's exactly what she didn't like happening in her first marriage, living with the in-law. Yeah. So remember Richard was like, look, nanny, I know what you like. Do us both a favour. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. So the 19th of May, 1953, Morton turned out to be another disappointing husband. You have to ask, if, if has nanny been a great wife for all these people so far? No. Although he wasn't an alcoholic, he was a womanizer. He would take the Chevy pickup truck out for a long ride, telling Nanny that he was just dawdling when she questioned him. Without wasting time, Nanny poisoned him. Complaining of chronic stomach pains, Morton succumbed to this poisoning. His death was ruled as unusual. And the next day, his dog would go on to die. So she's jumped to conclusion quite quickly there. He's going out on long Chevy pickup rides. And that must mean he's cheating. Three months. Gave him three months. Three months. Which, you know, in, in, in Nanny Doss time, like dog years, Nanny Doss years, she should get married after four months and get married after two days. So yeah. three months. It's more like 10 years. Exactly. Yeah. So in June of 1953, Sam Doss had been corresponding with Nanny via letters prior to Morton's death. So it's like texting someone on the slides. Yeah, that it? is, very much so, very much so. Nanny, you got another letter. <laughs> Who's this from? Oh, it's nobody. <laughs> I imagine that's probably how the conversation went. The dog was giving her a weird look and she's like, don't you give me that look, dog. Once Morton had mysteriously died, Nanny got the first bus to Tulsa, Oklahoma to meet her pen pal. Doss was a Nazarene minister who also worked a steady job as a state highway inspector. He spoke softly and often wore a necktie. He was neither threatening nor violent, however, did impose strict rules such as a 9.30 bedtime. They were engaged and married soon after meeting, however, his frugal lifestyle was not what Nanny was used to. After revolting and running away to Alabama, Doss sent Nanny pleading letters promising to open up the purse strings and give her a life she was more accustomed to. He rearranged his banking to give her equal access and took out two life insurance policies naming her as the sole beneficiary I think we can all see where this is going he was very tight with his money then he was like no come back I'll treat you right but this guy at least he's not womanising at least he's not going out drinking but yeah. just a bit yeah setting his ways Ben but if Pinching people change if people change those ways they can find things yeah there's someone out there for everyone and Santos probably wasn't the right one September 1953, Nanny baked Doss her signature prune cake. So you might recall from our intro, if there's a prune about and Nanny Doss is about, maybe say no. No coffee though. And a big bowl of coffee. <laughs> big bowl of coffee. This one was I love just a, <laughs> right. I love a big bowl of coffee. <laughs> When I'm in Costa, you got a bowl, please. That night, his stomach began to ache, progressing to violent spasms, and he was bedridden for days. Eventually, when he went to hospital, his diagnosis was a severe infection to the digestive tract. Ouch. Prune cake. Oh, yeah. 
take that off the menu. Mm-hmm. Yeah, please. So on the 5th of October, just a couple of weeks after he was uh, admitted, uh, Doss was discharged from hospital and sent home. So on the 12th of October 1953, Nanny makes Doss a dinner of roast pork, insisting he drink his coffee alongside it to get him back on his feet. It's a big old bowl. Big old bowl next to the roast pork. Uh, she admi- Roast with coffee? Yeah, never, never. Not even a... Yeah, ro- roast my coffee, fine. But roast and coffee yeah. declined. Yeah, yeah. Um, what? What? Just out of interest. Well, you wouldn't have the roast pork either, would you? No, no. Burles. She had mixed arsenic with his coffee, and with every gulp, Doss was slowly poisoning himself. And before midnight, he was dead. The physician who had released Doss from hospital not long before ordered an immediate autopsy on his otherwise healthy patient. This confirmed that Doss did not die of natural causes. In the intestines and stomach, he found remains of a pork roast dinner and enough arsenic to kill a horse. Very good from the doctor there. Credit where credit is due. He could have just been like, oh, that's a patient I saw last week. He died, that's sad. But he looked into it. Mm-hmm. Finally. If, yeah, so uh, good word from the doctor there. 1954, the doctor contacted the police. and nanny, unable to explain the arsenic and pleading her innocence, was arrested. Nanny eventually confessed to killing four of her five husbands. Their bodies were exhumed and rat poison was found in their bodies. When talking about killing her husbands, Nanny couldn't help but laugh, awarding her the nickname The Giggling Granny. She only eventually admitted her guilt when being told that she would get her Romantic Hearts magazines back, saying, I only wanted to find the perfect mate. Which is eerie. Mm. She eventually confessed to also killing her mother, her sister, her grandson and her mother-in-law. So yeah, you have to think back to Bragg's. He got, he got away from for Bragg's no stitches, I guess you could say. It doesn't really work, but you could say it. Uh, but yeah, he was the only husband that didn't get killed. He sent something of her, her person, and then he, he, he gave it legs, which he was... Got the hell out of Dodge. The hell out of Doss. Um, well, kind she of She wasn't called Doss. Kind of Yeah, but she wasn't works. called Doss then. Um, and also out of her. So apparently she also found a possible husband number six in North Carolina. Uh, There's a dairy farmer called John H. Keel. Probably didn't want him to keel over. Uh, before her arrest and even sent him a cake. Don't eat the cake, John. I mean, this was many. It was a long time ago. She's probably watching this with it in front of you ears. Then that's, that's incredible. Don't eat it. So on the 17th of May 1955, Nanny pleaded guilty to the murder of Samuel Doss. She was never charged with the other deaths and she was spared the death penalty because she was a woman. However, she was sentenced to life in prison where she would die in 1965 of leukaemia. So, yeah, 11 victims confirmed, but there's speculated there would be more. Yeah, I mean, these are the, only the ones that she would admit to. Yes. Range of victims as well, Not no particular kind of MO there. No, that's the thing. It, it's, it's, yeah, Beverly Allett, who'd kill, obviously she had access to children and she would kill uh, very young children. Yeah, as you said, it's husbands, it's it's family members, it, it's children. It's And it's like, it's not always for financial gain, which is kind of what you assume it would be. It's a very odd one. And like, yeah, I can completely understand, you know, she grew up in a really like strict household. She wasn't happy. It was very, it was very like controlling and she wanted to kind of break free and do what she, and, you know, live her life. Yeah. But then, and yeah, okay, this man's the right man for me. Maybe ask for a divorce. Yep. I guess I better go make another prune cake. Just ask for a divorce, Doss. Yeah. And in the aftermath, like when, when she was, you know, being interviewed and whatnot, she seemed to very much enjoy the limelight and enjoy um, telling the tales about exactly what happened, which is which is what we'll get into now. Yeah. She looks so out of place as well in the kind of court courtroom photos and her being kind of uh, brought in. She doesn't look like she's capable of doing what, what, she's, um, what she's done. 
So Doss would go on to say the reason she chose poison was because it was quieter, less messy, and it would um, be, it'd be passed off as, you know, natural causes, which, you know, very much it did for a long time. And also, you know, as, as we mentioned earlier, it would also, when the, when the um, her family members or her partners were suffering, she was there being the doting housewife or mother or, you know, relative. It made her look like the, you know, the perfect... Uh, Victim. Yeah, it made her look one of the victims as well. And she she was very much kind of, you know, caring for them and trying to get them better. So it got got a lot less eyes on her. And a little throwback to um, Edward Gain here. Nanny would also babysit for her neighbours. Mm. I guess, well, like we said, we, we can't can't figure out... The, some of these things were, was motivated by money, but some wasn't. So yeah. it didn't seem to be a case of... Maybe she would she know if she was to do anything to someone else's children in that kind of way, then it would be very much eyes on her. But Yeah, I was going to suggest that maybe it was uh, all by chance, the first bit of money, but, but the fact that she'd taken out an insurance policy on a, a very young child, mm. and quite an expensive policy by the sound of it, makes it less of a coincidence. So I can't really push that narrative. One thing I found really interesting, though, is that while once she is now arrested and serving this life sentence, detectives had a lot of difficulty in getting a full and proper confession out of Nanny Doss because she was too enthralled with her Romantic Hearts magazine. So they probably should have thought about that before giving her the magazines back. Just one more page. <laughs> Very odd. Yeah. Oh, sorry, I'm going to finish the chapter. I'll see you tomorrow. When the police finally did get Nanny's attention by taking the magazine from her, and this plays straight into your impression, she giggled and flirted with them like a young girl. And finally, after hours in the interrogation room, Nanny Doss confessed to poisoning her last husband. And her reason in, in doing so was that he would not let her watch her favourite television show or turn on a fan during hot summer nights. So... Perhaps he was really pinching the pennies. After extracting a promise from the police that she would talk about her other husband if they returned her magazine to her, she would then eventually go on to confess to the remaining killings. Um, and obviously at the time became a massive uh, national sensation with the fact that it was this kind of grandmotherly looking, you know, joyful looking lady. Uh, how could she ever be, you know, capable of doing something like uh, killing 11 people? Exactly, yeah. And three weeks after Nanny's arrest, she would go on to say, now maybe I will get some rest and won't have to answer so many silly questions. Maybe those docs at the hospital will teach me to think straight because she basically she was put into an asylum for, for 90 days, obviously thinking, you know, she'd gone to done such heinous crimes, wanted to kind of inspect her and, and kind of uh, do tests and see what exactly was going on there. But she apparently had a very nice time over at this island and she got plenty of attention due to her celebrity status. She used to celebrate her 50th birthday there. One of the doctors would rave about how, you know, how well she behaved and we just go on to say she did suffer from headaches from, from that accident she had as a child. She still suffered from that. Other than that, she was in nearly perfect health. And he said, of her, if you had a small child, you'd be delighted to have her as a babysitter, which I think... Um, is an absolutely odd thing for a doctor to say yeah. anyway. Why? Well, why go there? The mannerisms and the, the the face. I mean, you could see her on the kind of the front of a, a box of pancake mix or rice pudding. Yeah, uh, but maybe yeah. maybe he was saying that and he was trying to convince his wife. It's like, look, we want to go to cinema. Get Doss to look after the kids. So while in the asylum, as Tom's mentioned, she was declared legally sane by four psychiatrists, so she wasn't playing any kind of by reason of insanity card there. So Nanny would go on to plead guilty to murder. However, she would never admit to killing any of her biological family members. So husbands, no problem. Mother-in-laws, no problem. But she would never admit to any of the uh, her children or her grandchildren. And in the, in, when she was in court, she kind of, yeah, she would laugh away through proceedings and also chew gum. So as we said, she was getting a lot of uh, notoriety and appearance a lot of newspapers and whatnot and she actually was interviewed on TV and the cameraman suggested to Nanny that she remove her glasses and smile off the camera saying you might get another husband if you look nice and she replied ain't that the dying truth 
then cracked up her own pun. Not really great pun. No, better than mine. Better than mine? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I also thought I'd um, go back to have a look at what sort of adverts were in the Lonely Hearts column uh, okay. back in kind of the, the like 1920s, 1930s. I've got two. I've got a male one and I've got a female one just for some examples. So the first one is a, a male and it reads, I would like to correspond with some refined and wealthy lady. Full particulars will be given in first letter. Uh, the man goes then to list his address. Poor but honest, good-looking young man of 25 desires correspondence of younger lady having the same of above. Not a lot of pillow talk there. No, uh, not a lot. There's even less with the, the female one. Widow lady, 42, worth $30,000, would marry. If you wish a pretty, wealthy wife, write me. Write me? Write me. What about this one? Gentleman who does a weekly podcast series, a couple of cute dogs, wears... Loud clothing, smells surprisingly nice, um, quite gassy. And this says, says an address on there. That's actually not that. I thought you were going to be way worse than that. Oh, wait a sec. <laughs> Small cock. <laughs> DMs are. Dan's kind of vetting them for me now. Is he? Yeah, so message Dan first. Hello. But when Doss was in was in prison, she uh, after a while, you know, the celebrity status and whatnot, she kind of, you know, was going to say time passes slowly here in prison. Behind my smile is a heavy heart. I have always made people think I was happy, even though I wasn't. And um, her daughter became ill, and she wanted to go in, you know, to visit her daughter. She would, would go on to say she wished that she was tried in Kansas or North Carolina because that's where she would have gotten the electric chair. They always tend to say that when they've been sentenced to life and there's no possibility of execution. They're like, oh, I'd have preferred death. It's oh. like um, putting your finger up at a tiger in a cage, because you know the. Why are you putting the finger? Well, just it's like doing something you know there'll be no consequence oh. of of the action. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Why are you putting the finger? <laughs> you know what I mean, Dan, don't you? I was confused also. Yeah, flipping the flipping off the uh, tiger. Yeah. yeah. So this is quite quite an amusing one because obviously we know Nanny how she her mo how she would go on to kill people and she said this I, t I attend church here in the prison every Sunday my last husband was a minister you know and I work in the prison laundry it's the only place they'll have me when they get short in the kitchen I always offer to help out but they never let me work there no bowls left for the soup full of fucking coffee but yeah I can imagine they're going why it's like really <laughs> Nanny. Some experts argue that female serial killers do not exist, when in fact about 16% of all serial murders are female. When a study was done on this, it found that uh, women go undetected for longer periods of time compared to male serial murders, and that 98% of female serial killers are white. Many of them have a caregiving role to an extent, for example, nurses, mothers, or caregivers. And uh, the most common method of murder is poisoning followed closely by suffocation and staged accidents. Yeah, I think the, a lot of the uh, the male kind of serial killers, a lot of, it's with rage, it's done with anger, it's just like bloody, a bloody affair, where with women it's a bit more kind of thought out in the process and thinking about how to get away with it a bit more, mm -hmm. a bit more thought going behind like that. But yeah, it's, it's a very interesting stat. Most common motive for female serial killers is financial gain. I ain't saying you're a gold digger, but you ain't messing with no broke, giggling granny. Anyway... That is the case of Nanny Doss, the giggling granny. Lady Bluebeard. Lady Bluebeard is a very odd one. Yeah. Oklahoma's Jolly Widow. Oh, what's the one you made up? The no-go granny widow. Didn't even have to scroll up for it. It's in my head. She get, get tattooed? Possibly. So, Ben, it's a time that some people might perhaps like. It's the lookalikes. 
Yes, absolutely. Few okay. this week. You got. You always do. You always have a few. Not, not as many next week, but maybe that'll make more people tune in. The reason this case came up in the first place is we, as I said, at Could Murder a Pod Instagram, we post daily content on there. And between series, when we're not posting about the episodes we're doing or the Patreon stuff that we're doing, we post kind of random facts or quotes from serial killers or anything from the world of true crime. And when we stumbled upon Nanny Doss, it was around the fact that it was all the different uh, names that she went by, but also all the different ways in which she accrued her victims. And I just felt the scary thing about her is that she literally looks like the most loving, joyful person, even when you see her behind bars and in kind of the jumpsuit. It's just like it doesn't look possible. It happened. So my lookalike, I've gone for Roz from Monsters, Inc. Mike Lazowski. My brother said Mrs. Doubtfire, which I thought was a bit, I felt bad about. But then You thought not your Doubtfire, dear. But then I went for Dame Edna Everidge, played by Barry Humphreys, which I think is probably the strongest one of, of all of mine. And then finally, Miss Finster from Recess. So I've not been too kind to Nanny. I've gone for none other than Hyacinth Bouquet. That's good. A.K.A. Patricia Routledge. Uh, she needs glasses on, but this particular photo I've got, Danny's not wearing the glasses. Same head tilt. That's, um, that's the best one I've ever seen. Well, that, thank you very much, Ben. Sorry. That's um, really... Wow. No, it's not Bucket. It's Bouquet. It's not Dos. It's Dose. <laughs> and many doses there were. Yeah, exactly. Of poison, mostly. Yeah, shame. But there's a lucky luckies. Um, and guys... Ben didn't manage to do it in his quick fire intro but we do have a store if you want to head over there you can get stickers you can get mugs you can get hats you can get absolutely anything now we're thinking about doing groceries prunes yeah. coffee bowls it could be actually it could be a thing it could yeah. be a thing yeah. and also don't forget to follow us on the socials at could murder a pod we've got facebook we have twitter and we have instagrams uh, as well as that I mentioned it a couple of times I don't want to harp on about it but we have got a Patreon page for anyone that wants to you know support the uh, the channel we really really appreciate it we've got almost 40 episodes up at the moment we do requests over there recent episodes there have been some fairly big cases so why not have a little look on there and uh, any support is massively massively appreciated the great thing about Patreon is you can go on it binge the lot some people have done this just, just log out for a bit wait for us to build up again log back in here and do it mm-hmm yeah. You can be clever with it. You can be clever with it. And if you're listening to us on Spotify or iTunes, please give us a review or follow us on there. It does really help out. And as well, I did notice on YouTube that only 12% of the subscribers have the notification bell on. So some of you are going, what? You guys done new episodes? And we're like four in. It's like, guys, turn the bell on. Every week you get a little ding dong and the bell does. But then it'll tell you the new episode's out. So why not get involved there? Mm-hmm. I'd like so, to see that percentage go up. Yeah, 12%. That's disgusting, guys. <laughs> That's disgusting. And um, been with conviction. I like it. Yeah. Anyway, that God. is really low, isn't it? Yeah. What God, God, yes, go on. Right. Anyway, a bite. Bit of subscribe, like, pledge to Patreon. Follow us on Instagram. We're nearly at five thousand on Instagram, guys, which is halfway to us being able to do that little scroll up feature on stories. We always repost in stories as well. So tag us, tell your friends, tell your family, uh, and Patreon as well. I, I will shut up about Patreon after this, but we also have audio versions of every single episode on there. So the people that prefer joining via the ears, you can get your your ear supplemented episodes on Patreon little mini uh, player play so you can walk around at work or whatever and just listen to us without having to watch us on the screen but as we always say guys and we say this all the time keep doing what you're doing unless it's um, fireworks prune cake coffee bowl fireworks style fireworks style see you later guys bye bye 
You have been listening to I Could Murder a Podcast, written and presented by Tom Norris and Ben Carter. Additional voiceover by Larissa Murray. Additional research and timelines written by Danielle St. Romain. Produced and mixed by Dan Lambert of Boston Sound. Artwork and animation by Phil Whitten. Theme song by Alfie Indra. If you've enjoyed this episode, please remember to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Just search at Pod. For additional and exclusive content, please check out our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash pod. And don't forget to tell all of your friends. I Could Murder a Podcast is proudly part of the ACAST Creator Network. For hundreds of extra minisodes and other content, along with our private Discord server and live Q&As, exclusive merch and much more, consider subscribing to icmap.co.uk.